Hello and welcome to the What's the Hurry podcast, or otherwise just a, a recording of the newsletter itself. Um, this podcast is brought to you by turtles and snails and all of the slow fauna and flora in the world, of which there are many. Apologies for my voice if it splutters or if I need to cough during the recording. I currently do have COVID-19. At last, it's come to me. So um, that may well provide some form of disruption, but I hope I can get through it okay and you enjoy this episode. Thank you. Gloopy time. Perception of time is relative, but its speed of movement and allocation has been warped by capitalism. We can take back our relationship with it. Gradually, then suddenly. The people we admire in the public eye often appear to magically explode out of obscurity. I've recently been reading Alicia Garza's book on the Black Lives Matter movement, which she co-founded. In it, she reflects on how people perceived BLM to sprout out of an isolated Facebook post and all of a sudden explode into the mainstream. The reality was very different. Garza's movement happened, in the words of Ernest Hemingway, gradually, then suddenly. Years of organizing and activism alongside people and groups who would help catapult her forward prepared her for the harnessing of collective action, the logistical wrangling, and the ability to direct the outpouring of anger and frustration that created the conditions of BLM's rise. Her daily struggles and efforts, often in difficult circumstances and against oppressive opposition, snowballed into a vital international conversation because of the experience she gained doing the work. We regularly overestimate what we can do in a day and underestimate what can happen in a year. As futurism and games researcher Jane McGonigal said in a recent interview, we assume that 10 years from now we'll be roughly the same person we are today, just with more grey hairs. The reality is often quite different and surprising. Whether these changes in our lives are made up by more trite activities, like eating more healthy foods, or from the larger effects of a change of location, a meaningful relationship or starting a family, remain to be seen by our future selves. Friends from school sometimes tell me how different I am from when I was a teenager. I recognize this, but at the age I am now, I assume that that's all the growth I'm gonna do. I'm wrong, of course, but I don't know how wrong and in what ways. There are known unknowns and unknown unknowns. Doctors will often tell an unhealthy patient to focus on losing 10 kilograms, giving a set goal and number to fulfill, instead of prescribing them a program of gradually changing their relationship with exercise, food, and drink, for example. One is statistical, measurable, and for the individual may be completely ineffectual. The other starts a path of self-discovery that may end up in some well-needed therapy as much as a CrossFit class. This is the sort of slow work that a results-based system struggles with. We prioritize short-term goals, emails, events, text messages, and a worried boss who texts us at 11 p.m. We do this because this is how our brains are wired. Short over long, quick over slow. Rewiring them, at least a little bit, is the purpose of this project. Time as a measurable resource. Times are urgent, we must slow down. Bio accomolafe. In English and most other European languages, we see time as a bucket to be filled, for example, Twitter is a way of filling time, or a resource to be bartered with, for example, 
Drawing is a good use of my time. Or, I love spending time with him. Or, I'll give you five minutes. Or, he just bought himself another five years of life. Like most other things in a capitalist system, we consider time a resource to be gathered and held onto. We give time to our work, to our commute perhaps, to a certain amount of exercise we know we must do, and to friends and loved ones. In China, they have named a concept of revenge time, in which workers sacrifice sleep to stay up late beyond their crushing work schedules in order to save us some time spent with their thoughts or friends. I remember once hearing from someone that love, to them, is spelt T-I-M-E. I liked this and wrote it down. Each time I feel myself worrying that I'm misspending a piece of time with a loved one or friend, in a Dell bar for example, or seeing the wrong movie, or having a lackluster conversation, I try to remember that at the very least our seemingly lame efforts at enjoying our time together are worth it at least for the signal it sends to one another. Generally, we seem to have a feeling of time running out. I remember in my early days of freelancing, when I was making little money and would wind up in periods of extended internet doom scrolling, don't get me wrong, still happens, I would get to the end of the day and spend hours awake in bed, lamenting my wasteful habits, willing myself to be a better allocator of my waking hours. In my most self-punishing periods today, I see my calendar neatly allocated with one hour for this and 90 minutes for that. I reject my already known lethargy at changing activity or getting ready to go out, and assume that tomorrow I will be the hyper-efficient terminator I was always meant to be. Holiday time feels different, doesn't it? Spending two to three hours at a table in the sunshine, lounging around with a book or a beer and idle conversation, feels worlds away from a rushed lunch between 12 and 12.15 while at home. Time seems to have less assigned value, and therefore is more charged with a treacly, gloopy joy. Despite the knowledge that it has an end, this time is a warm scarf. A cat gradually rubbing its body against your leg. A friend's hand over your shoulder. Sitting in my mild, COVID-imposed isolation while typing these words, I'm currently reveling in the guilt-free hours spent reading, lounging around, and watching movies. In preparation for writing this, I read the abstract to a paper which explored the Australian indigenous concept of time and its impact on mental health strategy among the country's Aboriginal population. The circular pattern of time they subscribe to places an individual in the centre of time circles. Events are placed in time according to their relative importance for the individual and his or her respective community. For example, the more important the event, the closer it is in time. Naturally, this affects not only their place within the national consciousness, as Australian independence from Britain might mean something quite different than the arrival of European colonists, despite being hundreds of years apart, but also within a therapeutic context, in which a meaningful and traumatic event might feel very close, despite having happened decades earlier. Time in this context feels more malleable and liquid, less rational than we would like it, and more charged with emotion. We found a myriad of ways of compressing time and making it work for us. Samuel Morse's telegraph, one of the most important inventions in the last 200 years, allowed us to communicate with much greater speed than ever before. However, author Henry David Thoreau commented at the time that we are in great haste to construct a magnetic telegraph from Maine to Texas, but 
Maine and Texas, it may be, have nothing important to communicate. One of the most pressing difficulties that patriarchal colonial capitalism brings is a demand that the mind should avoid daydreaming. Daydreaming, whether alone, in a pair, or in a group, is ideating and questioning. It is childlike. It is disrupted by electronic communication, by scheduled programming, by over-administration. But to me, it is essential to a more joyful and rich life. It is associated with a more relaxed relationship with time, languorous, undefined, and brimming with gloopy value. I've decided my favorite time expression is passing the time. It feels softer than the others and seems to get at some space-time relationship. Time and I passed one another today, brushing with light acknowledgement and reverence, but without any sense of ownership. We came and we went, and that was fine. I end the piece today with a quote from L. M. Sarkasis. Do not mistake planning for purpose or activity for action. Attend to the ordinary and the mundane with care and with gratitude. Consider that rest is not a time set aside, but a spirit brought to every time. Refuse the ever-present temptation to control and manage the thing we call life, for there is no surer way to miss it. In Cayley's words, Ivan Ilich believed that one of the great temptations we must resist was the temptation to bring what must begin and end as surprise under administration. Thank you.